Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne this morning again in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we worship you again because you are worthy of all glory and honor and blessing. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, who saved us by his own death on the cross. And Lord, we are thankful for his faithfulness in all things, in bringing all the children of God to himself. And we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, who teaches us the things of Christ, who opens and illuminates the scriptures to us, that we may know what these things are. And now we ask for your Spirit again to give us understanding of who Christ is. For no man can say Jesus Christ is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to hear the Lord himself say, Before Abraham was, I am. So we, Lord, we pray that you give us understanding of what that means. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John 8, 48 to 59. John 8, 48, 59. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Verse 52, then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never test death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I said to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Our title is verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. There are many who say Jesus never claimed to be God. And they say that because they do not know how to read the scriptures. They even have the nerve to challenge you and say, show me. (laughs) Show me in the scriptures where Jesus ever said he was God. And they think They are going to cause you to stumble. But here is the problem, and it is a much bigger problem. If you fail to make a proper confession of who Jesus Christ is, it is not like you voted for the wrong presidential candidate. That can be 
potentially removed from power after four years. A failure to confess the true identity of Jesus Christ is an issue of salvation. It is a gospel issue. It is a righteousness issue. It is consequential. It is the most important confession that you and I will ever make in all of eternity. The identity of the person of Jesus is not a matter of one's opinion. Your opinion does not count. Buying shoes is a matter of your opinion. And other than having cons because they are ill-fitting and a backache, it has nothing to do with salvation. God will not send you to hell because you had the wrong size shoes on. No, he will send you to hell because you deny the testimony that he has made of his own son. You deny the identity and the person of Jesus and you have the wrong Jesus. And the wrong Jesus can't save you. Salvation is in the identity of Jesus. Salvation is in his name. If you still remember when Jesus was praying in John 17, he said, I have kept all the men that you gave me. I kept them in your name, the name that you gave me. So the name of Jesus is what keeps you. You are kept in the name of Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus that we are saved. It is in his name that we are kept. It is in his name and identity that his work of salvation has value. And to be saved is to know who Jesus Christ is. It is to make a true confession of the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself said this in John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Salvation is in knowing the person of God and Jesus Christ. Salvation is in us knowing the true God, not just any God that man has manufactured, a God that has been made after our own imagination. It is to know the true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And if you have no desire to know the true God and Jesus Christ, then you have no eternal life. If you do not desire to know God and Jesus Christ, you have no eternal life, because Jesus said, eternal life is knowing the true God and Jesus Christ. And this did not say, you have eternal life when you have become a better person. When you tithe, but when you have come to the knowledge of Christ. When you have come to the knowledge of Christ, that's salvation. Listen to Apostle Paul's prayer. For the saints in Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. Let's hear what Apostle Paul was praying for the saints. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know, that you may know, what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Apostle Paul's prayer for the saints that they may know who Christ is and the hope of his calling. And if you are in a church where you are not increasing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the hope of your calling, then you are not hearing the gospel and you need to leave that church. Jesus Christ is not there. But there are some who profess to be Christians and yet deny that Jesus Christ is God. What do the scriptures Make of that. What do the scriptures say of someone who professes to believe in Christ, to know Christ, to have rested their hope on Christ, and yet deny the person of Christ? That person is not born again. That person is not saved because salvation is in the knowledge of the true God and Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one, no one, that's a universal negative, nobody, speaking by the Holy Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed. That's one sign. And the second sign, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus Christ is God but by the Holy Spirit. That is the testimony of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't come up with that. Nicodemus came to Jesus, claiming to know him before he was born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus, thinking that he could make an evaluation of the person of Jesus, like he could figure out Jesus by his own resources. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. John 3, verses 1 to 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, well done, Nicodemus, you're so smart. I never thought you knew that. Jesus said to him, 
most assuredly, verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says to Nicodemus, no, Nicodemus, not that fast. You do not know who I am. And you have no ability whatsoever to sort out heavenly things for me. You have no ability to tell my identity. You need to be born again to know who I am. You cannot see, you cannot believe, and you cannot is another absolute negative. It is impossible to see, to know who Jesus is unless one is born again from above, unless one is possessed by the Spirit of God. It's only the Spirit of God who knows the things of God. Matthew 11, 25 to 27. Matthew 11, 25 to 27. Jesus thanked the Father for hiding him from people. God wants all men to be saved. Jesus comes and says, no. I'm going to praise my Father for hiding the truth from people. Listen to verse 25 to 27 of Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes, those who are not supposed to even understand anything about Jesus. Those are the ones that Christ comes and reveals himself. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. You don't make a judgment of what God does. As long as it is good in his sight, that's righteous. Oh, but that's not fair. No, that's righteous. It's good in his sight. All things have been delivered to me by my father, and no one knows the son, absolutely no one knows the son, except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son, and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. So the son has to will to reveal the father to you, and the father has to will to reveal the son to you. And God has willed to reveal Christ to you. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 53 verses 1 and 2. Who has believed our report? That's a rhetoric question. The answer is nobody. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who is the arm of the Lord? It's Christ Jesus. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. He has no beauty that we should desire him. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. You could not look at Jesus and say, oh, I love that guy. What a Tom Cruise looking like character. What is all that saying? That is saying Jesus has to be revealed to every person who comes to him if they are ever to come to him. It is Jesus who comes to the person and not the person to Jesus. You do not invite Jesus to your heart. It's Jesus who invites you to God. It is God who invites you to Jesus and it is he who reveals Jesus to you. There's no one who believes in Jesus and his gospel unless God causes them to believe it. 
And if one believes, it is because God the Father caused them to be born again by His Spirit. It is because Jesus revealed Himself to them. It is because God gave us His Holy Spirit. He gave us the life of Christ by His Holy Spirit. And I don't know how people read. Maybe a lot of people have taken the common call. If one does not believe in who Jesus Christ is, they also necessarily have to believe a false gospel. If you fail at the person of Jesus Christ, you have to also believe a false gospel. If you deny the person of God as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you must of necessity have a false gospel. Because the revelation of Jesus Christ is the gospel. The revelation of God the Son is the gospel. The gospel is not the Holy Spirit. The gospel is not the Father. The gospel is the Son. And T.D. Jax does not believe that God is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't have a gospel. He doesn't have a Jesus to give you. The Lord said in John 6.45, And they shall all be taught by God. They shall all be taught by God. Which ones? Therefore, everyone who has had and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who has had from God himself will come to Jesus. You will never fail to come to Jesus. The true gospel is not hard to understand when God has taught it. The gospel, when, when it has been taught by God himself, is a very simple message. Salvation is of the Lord. That's it. Salvation is of Jesus' finished work. But the majority of the church world is battling against this very message. Against this very understanding. For another gospel that does not save. A gospel that exalts your own flesh. And say, you have to meet these conditions for you to make the work of Christ effectual. They want a gospel that exalts the work of the flesh. But Jesus said, the flesh profits Nothing. There is no hope in any of the works of the flesh. But professing Christians will kick and, and scream and throw a tantrum. <laughs> and say, no, 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 no. That is not true. God wants to save all men. The statements of Jesus cannot be true because God is not willing that any should perish. But who are the many? Who are the those who Apostle Peter is talking about. He's talking about those that were given to the Son. The Father will not let any of those that he gave to his Son to perish. So he is long-suffering until the fullness of his people have been brought to Christ. If God had brought judgment 20 years ago, some of us were not saved. So God was long-suffering towards mankind, not for their sake, but for the sake of the elect. But the religious world wants to make God fair. They want God to be fair, and so they give man free will 
to make man the deciding factor of things that only God decides. But God is not running for office. God does not run opinion polls. There's no NBC or the Wall Street Journal to run polls in heaven, and neither does he have a suggestion box. God is not waiting for ideas from men on how to do this salvation thing. He is sovereign. He performs all his good pleasure. And all his ways are just. And he refuses to be put in human courts. But the one time, the only time that he did, he said to Pilate, you'd have no power over me unless it was given you from above. The one time. Even then, he reminded Pilate of who was in control. The identity of Jesus is important. And you want to make sure you have believed on the right Jesus. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon by Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What you say or don't say about Jesus is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of justification or condemnation. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What does that mean? Does it mean that the tongue can give life or has power to execute someone to death? What does that mean? The tongue is just a human organ for tasting food and talking. But here's Apostle Paul to explain what that means. The proverb said, life is in the tongue. Life and death are in the tongue. What does that mean? Romans 10, verse 8 to 10. Romans 10, verse 8 to 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith, not Paula White word of faith. The word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the tongue has power in that by the tongue you confess What is in your heart? You confess the content of what is in your heart. For from the abundance of the heart, 
The mouth speaks. So if you have salvation in your heart, it's going to come out through your tongue. So here's the content of what you confess that gives life. You're not just going to be saying whatever you want to say and say, oh, look, I'm saved because I'm speaking life. <laughs> no. It's the content of what you're saying that gives life. It's the content of what you are saying. And Apostle Paul tells us the kind of content that you have to say, the testimony that you're looking from someone to say, this one has salvation. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You confess with your mouth, not Mary, the mother of God, you confess Jesus as Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. To confess means to say the same words as someone. It means to say the same words as someone. So when you confess Jesus as Lord, you are saying the same things that God says about his own son. You are agreeing with what God has already said about his son. So it is not to go to the Roman Catholic priest and spewing out all your sins and nonsense as much as you can remember, which probably will be 1%. Uh, Stan, we're going to have confession after this sermon. So the tongue says what is in the heart. And so the confession that comes out of the mouth comes from what is in the heart. And God says, if you have this confession about my son, about my Jesus, the confession of Jesus as Lord, not just some exalted angel, like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who say, that Jesus Christ is not God, he's just some exalted angel. If your confession is that Jesus is Lord and you believe that in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. No buts, no ifs, no maybes. It's 100% going to happen. You shall be saved. You have passed from death to life because that testimony is put in your heart by God himself. But someone will come and say, is that enough for me to be saved? Yes, that is all you need for salvation. What about my works? Are there other conditions to meet because I just don't feel anything? I'm not feeling anything. What was the man with the legion of demons feeling when Jesus healed him? No warm and fuzzy feelings. You cannot judge your salvation by warm and fuzzy feelings. The only condition of your salvation is Jesus Christ. And God was pleased with the work that Christ did. And God accepted the work that Christ did on your behalf. And so he raised him from the dead. And that is why in the confession... The resurrection of Christ is important because if you deny the resurrection, you are denying that Jesus is God. And you are denying that he finished his work of salvation. 
So the work of salvation was completed by the person and the name and the identity of this one who is the son of God. But what about repentance? If I repented enough, because I see myself continuing to struggle with this one sin that I've not told anybody. It's a sin that just between me and God, I've stopped doing some things. I've stopped going to this bar. I've stopped doing all these other crazy things that people could see. But I still have this one sin that continues to plague my mind. What am I going to do with that? Am I saved? If I repented enough, the condition of salvation again. The apostle says, if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that's a confession that leads to life and that's repentance. Because if God does not give you the Holy Spirit, you have no power to make that confession. And if you can make that confession, that's repentance. You have turned away from your foolishness to making a confession that God has given about his son. Not everyone is able to say that. Go and ask people. Ask them and say, who is Jesus? They're not able to say that. They get tongue-tied. And when we talk about Jesus, we take it for granted. We think it's just happening because we can say it. No. It's the Lord who is giving you the power to pronounce the name of Jesus. So repentance to Christ and his gospel is such a wonderful work that when it happens, it is celebrated in heaven. It is no easy thing. The Lord Jesus said in Luke 15.10, I said to you, there's joy in heaven, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents to Christ. Just one sinner. God makes sure that it is celebrated in heaven. It doesn't go unnoticed. Why? Because it's God doing it. Because it's his work. He's like, look at what I just did. <laughs> I just brought one of these sinners to myself. And so there's joy in the presence of angels. So the tongue brings death when it fails to make the confession of Jesus Christ. Because it is the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that brings life. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the mediator of death and life. Oprah cannot make a confession of Jesus Christ. And so she does not have life. Jesus Christ is he who sits between life and death. And that is why on the cross he was in between the two thieves. To the one he gave life and to the one death. He mediates between life and death. Death in the garden of Eden came by the mouth. By the eating of the forbidden fruit. In the day that you shall eat. You shall surely die. And so death came by the mouth. And life also comes by the mouth. By the eating of the fruit of Christ. By believing in him. And resting on him. As our only righteousness before God. And so the identity of Jesus Christ. Is very important to salvation. Jesus says. The ultimate question that every person has to answer is, 
who do you say that I am? Jesus does not care what other people say about him. He only cares about what you say about him. It is personal. It is a personal testimony. You don't get saved in a group. You are not going to have an order call and then we are going to have a mass confession. No, it's personal. Our God is a personal God. He comes to each and every one at the appointed time for everyone. Personal. He does not care what you or your mother or your father or your children or your husband or your wife or our president has to say. He doesn't care about that. He says, who do you say that I am and why is that important? Why is that question important? It is important because God has attached life and justification to how you answer the question. God has attached life itself, forgiveness of sins, to how you answer that question. The one who comes and says some good things about Jesus, but fails to say who Jesus is, is still in trouble. Pay attention to what the people said. The people were saying, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus does not care for such a low opinion of him that may be high sounding. Because you see what they're doing? They have put him to the level of these prophets. And they think they're tipping their head to Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't care what they have to say. I'm not even going to answer to that. But I need to know this. Who do you say I am? It comes down to you. He gave recognition to Peter. He gave recognition to Peter's answer. When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What was that saying? It's a twofold confession. The twofold confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ is Jesus as the Son of Man, Jesus as the Messiah, Jehovah's servant, who serves God's people. That's the Christ. That's the Messiah. But in addition to that, Jesus also has another identity, the Son of of the living God. And now that speaks to his deity. He speaks to his deity. And so that twofold confession by Peter was right on the money. Peter nailed it. And the Lord said to Peter, You are so smart, Peter, again. You are so smart. You should get some stickers. <laughs> get some stickers and some jolly ranchers. Abriana, where's Abriana? You are so smart. No. Matthew 16 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. To know Jesus according to him is to be blessed. To make that confession according to Jesus is to be blessed because God does not give that confession to everyone. That confession 
cannot come from man. It comes from God himself. Jesus said, flesh and blood did not tell you that, Peter. Flesh and blood cannot teach you about me. It's my father who revealed me to you. And so, in the book of John, we have the same problem between the Jews and Jesus. The Jews are not amused by Jesus' claims of himself. They think he is highly opinionated and conceited. The claims that Jesus makes are horrendous. They have never had a man claim to be such things as Jesus is claiming. So they determine to make a mockery of him and say, you were born of fornication. By this, they were implying that Jesus is a sinner. You were born of fornication, but us, we were born of God. We are the children of Abraham. And we have never been in bondage to anyone. We have never, never been in bondage to anybody. And so they continued to abuse Jesus and say to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So they call Jesus a Samaritan and demon possessed. And that is abusive language to say, oh, Jesus, you are unclean. You are inferior because the Samaritans were considered inferior people. They were a mixed race of the Assyrians and the northern tribes of Israel. And you're also a heretic because the Samaritans only held to the first five books of the Bible, the law, but they did not pay attention to all the prophets. So Jesus, you are a Samaritan, you are a heretic. Jesus has claimed that the Jews don't believe in him because they are not able to, and they are not able to because they are in bondage to sin, and they are not able to because they are not of God. God has not chosen them to belong to Christ despite their claims to the contrary. For everyone who belongs to God will believe in Jesus. They will not die before God gives them that confession. The man with the legion of demons could not be sent into the sea as to be drowned as what happened to the pigs. Why? Because Jesus still had to show up and give him the confession. Jesus has to show up. And once you have the confession of Jesus, then you are ready to die. If you have Christ, you are ready to die. It doesn't matter when you die or how you die, but you are already ready to die because you have the confession of who Christ is. So Jesus has claimed to have seen God. He has claimed to have been sent from God. And he has claimed to give life. And said, if you keep my word, that is, if you believe in me, you will never see death. But the Jews mock him and think he truly is out of his mind. And they said, verse 52, 53. Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead who do you make yourself out to be? So the reason why the Jews think that Jesus has a demon is specifically 
because he is claiming things that do not make sense. It does not make sense to come and say he gives life when all these prophets and the patriarchs have died. This is what is happening. The Jews and Jesus are speaking at different levels of knowledge and understanding. And the Jews are probably looking funny at Jesus and saying, So Jesus, you claim that anyone who keeps your word will never see death. Come on, be serious. The patriarchs are dead. The prophets are dead. And yet you come here saying, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So tell us then, if you're making that claim, tell us then, verse 53, what are you suggesting? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? So the Jews are arguing so as to test and see if Jesus is more than their great patriarch, Abraham, and their prophets. And if these men, if these great men were all dead, then what Jesus is saying, if it is true, makes him greater than them all. Or it is just some crazy stuff. Just some crazy stuff. And that question was also posed to Jesus by the Samaritan woman at the wall. Let's go to John 4, 10 and 12, or 10 to 12. John chapter 4, John 4, 10 to 12. Jesus answered and said to him, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the wall is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? So the Jews, as the Samaritan woman, sense that Jesus is claiming to be more, to be more than their forefathers. But what more? How much more are you, Jesus? So they were benchmarking him to the patriarchs and the prophets to see if he was greater than they. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And that is an important question. Because when you hear what Jesus has to say, you have to ask that question. Because the things that Jesus claimed about himself are not ordinary things that you hear from someone. Someone has to be mentally deranged to make the same claims as Jesus was. But that's an important question for us to ask Jesus. To claim that he is the way, the truth and the life. And that no man can come to the father but by him is very exclusive language. That cannot be ignored by anyone in their right mind if Jesus is telling the truth. And so the Jews are forced to ask for the identity of Jesus and say, who are you? Verse 54, verse 54 to 56 of John 8. Jesus answered, 
if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. So to your question, I do not honor myself, but my father whom you claim to be your God is the one who honors me. It is by him that I make all these claims that are driving you crazy. And despite your claims to be the children of God and the children of Abraham, you do not know him. But I know him and guess what? I am not a liar like you all because you are lying on God that you know God and yet you don't believe the very God who is standing in front of you. I'm right here. You are liars. I keep his word, but obviously you do not, because if you did, you'd believe in me and you'd keep my word because my word is the word of God. I am the Logos. I am the very word of God. But guess what? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Yes, your father Abraham looked forward to my day. Abraham looked forward to my incarnation and the promise of salvation that was coming through me, his seed. Abraham looked to my day through the Abrahamic covenant. He looked to my day through the offering of Isaac. Isaac, a type, the offering of Isaac was a type of the death and resurrection of Christ, according to the rite of Hebrews. God showed Abraham the incarnation, the coming of Christ. Genesis 22. Let's go there. Genesis 22, 10 to 17. Genesis 22, 10 to 17 says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Abraham saw Jesus Christ in the ram that was caught in the thicket. Caught with its horns in a thorn brush. 
the ram that God provided. The ram that had a crown like that of Jesus. And that became the sacrifice. He saw the gospel being preached right there on Mount Moriah. He saw the death and resurrection of Christ in the death and resurrection of Isaac, as I said, who was a type of Christ. Abraham was glad that he did not have to kill his own son because he had found a substitute, not only for Isaac, but for himself. Jesus Christ is the God of Abraham. Jesus Christ is the God of Jacob and the God of Isaac. He is the angel of the Lord that spoke to Abraham as God. It is he that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that is why Abraham looked to Jesus' day and he was glad. He was glad. Verse 57. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And this is how to carry a polite conversation. When you have no more good things to say. You go for personal attacks. So they go ballistic. There's no way, man, this is getting out of control. You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? That is a question of disgust. They're disgusted. How can you, not even 50 years old, talk about having seen Abraham? And that question is saying, no way, you have not seen Abraham. And it is an idiom-like statement that says, you are still in your youth. You are still in your youth. And in Zimbabwe would say, you still have milk on your nose. If you take, you want to check to see if someone is grown, you go get the nose and squeeze it. Go to national, squeeze it, there'll be milk. All the mature ones don't have milk come out. It's just a test. So they are saying, you are still a baby. So your claims are bogus. Your age betrays you and makes you a liar. And this kind of attack, expect it always. As long as you stand for Christ, expect it. It's going to come in one way or the other. It happened to the Lord and it's going to happen to you. As long as you are standing in the truth of Christ, these people, these religious people will continue to cause you trouble. The Jews have failed to overcome Jesus with truth. They have no truth. And so they go for personal attacks. You were born of fornication. You are a Samaritan. You have a demon. And in John 7, 15, in John 7, 15, the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters? Having never studied, how does Jesus know all these things without any formal education? He didn't go to seminary. How can he preach the gospel to us? That's what they say. How does he have such understanding having never studied? And now, you are not even 50 years old. So what is curious about those charges? What is curious about those statements? They are all personal attacks. They are all personal attacks that are designed to discredit the testimony of Christ. So when someone comes and they 
personally attack you. They're trying to get you to shut up, to discredit your testimony of Christ. But don't stop. It means they're telling the truth. It means they're on the right path. It means God is giving you the truth about Christ and these people hate the truth. So they will attack you because they do not have anything useful to say. Truth is not about age. It is not about how old you have been a Christian. It is not about how many books someone has read. It is not about going to seminary. Truth is only given and taught by God himself. That is why you can take the gospel to someone who can barely write their own name. And they'll say amen to your words. Who's teaching them? It's God. Truth has nothing to do with who we are. Truth is only given and taught by God himself. So don't despise someone and don't let anyone despise you because you're standing for the truth. And if they don't like it, then that is their problem with God, not you. They are despising God, not you. It's God that they are despising. He is the one who is giving the truth. And if God puts truth in Balaam's donkey, you better listen to Balaam's donkey. Because that donkey is not alone. The donkey by itself has no truth. So if a donkey has truth, it means the Lord is behind. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. And the Lord almost killed Balaam. It's like, your donkey knows more truth than you. But hear what Jesus says, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I said to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus did not say, I'm sorry, oops, I was just kidding. I meant to say, Abraham just read about me. Jesus did not withdraw his statement, but he amplified it. He made it worse for them. They thought he was going to apologize for it. Jesus gets even higher than they were expecting. And they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. And what caused all the trouble for him at this point of the conversation was this very claim. Before Abraham was. I am. This very statement. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, before Abraham ever existed, he was already in existence. See what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, before Abraham was, I was. Because if you are taking an English grammar class, Jesus has to get correction. He has to be corrected. Jesus, that's wrong English. Before Abraham was, I was. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was claiming deity. He was claiming pre-existence. But pre-existence does not prove that Jesus is God. Pre-existence does not prove that Jesus is God because why? An angel could come and make the same claim and still not get in trouble because all angels, the Jews would have agreed. If Jesus said he was just an angel, they would have agreed that he pre-existed Abraham. Jesus was claiming to be more than angel. He was claiming more than pre-existence. 
he was claiming to be God. And the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. They knew exactly without any shadow of doubt, they knew what Jesus was saying. And their reaction to Jesus explains to us that they understood what Jesus was claiming. John 8, 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Stoning was the punishment for blasphemy. For blasphemy. You had to be stoned. And the Jews' reaction tell us exactly what they understood Jesus to be saying. They understood that Jesus was claiming deity. But this has also happened before. Jesus has made a similar claim that was understood exactly the same way. John 5, 16 to 18. John 5, 16 to 18. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. That's one reason. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath and they were accusing him of violating the commandment. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. That statement should not cause any trouble. My father has been working and I've been working. Imagine coming and you're telling your husband, my father has been working in the fields and I've been working in the fields. And then he takes an axe and is trying to chop you to pieces. What is that saying? There has to be more in that statement. There's something that they understood in that statement that is not as innocent as you may think. And here, what the Jews understood those words by Jesus, verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. This also happened in John 10. Let's go John 10, verses 31 to 33. John 10, 31 to 33. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you... Being a man, make yourself God. So the Jews are properly understanding what Jesus is claiming. So if we also are properly understanding what Jesus was claiming, we cannot come to no other conclusion than he is God. So the Jews understood that Jesus was claiming himself to be God. But where did they get that understanding? That I am means one is claiming to be God. Before Abraham, there's no problem there. The problem is in the second part of the statement. I am. That's where the problem is. Exodus 3, verse 13 to 17. Moses in the burning bush. Exodus 3, verse 13 to 17. Then Moses said to God, verse 13 to 17. Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they said to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am 
who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited and seen what is done to you in Egypt, and I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. I am is ego and me, E-G-O, like ego, but in Greek it's ego, ego and me. And me is E-I-M-I. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the I am statement in the text is translated ego and me as in John 8. I am. As in John 8, as in the New Testament. The Jews know that I am is a clear claim of deity. They know exactly that. They know the Lord God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, is the one who claimed that name. They know that. And that, friends, is blasphemy if Jesus was lying. But God is not a liar. God was staring them right in their faces. And Jesus made such claims, such I am statements in the book of John. We have a sermon that we did many months ago, maybe seven months, six months, where we extensively went through the I am statements. But I'm just going to bring attention to some of the I am statements that Jesus used to claim that he was God. John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, verse 9, I am the gate. John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. In John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. And all these are very curious statements by Jesus. Jesus has no authority to come and claim that unless he is God. But remember, this is very important as we draw near to the close. Remember what John the Apostle is doing. John has a thesis statement or a proposal or a supposition or an argument about the person of Jesus. John's thesis is in John 1, verse 1 to 4. This is John's thesis statement. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. That's John's thesis. Everything else that he does is there to prove this thesis. That's what he's doing. And the same John would say in John 20, verses 30 and 31, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the deity of Christ. And that believing you may have life in his name. You have life in the name of Jesus. The I am name. The name that the Father gave the Son. And so, like any good thesis, it has to be defended. So Jesus is defending John's thesis. Or John is bringing understanding to support his thesis of who Christ is. So the recording that Apostle John was given by the Holy Spirit was not just to show the drama between the Jews and Jesus, but it was to prove to us that Jesus Christ is God. He purposed to teach us that Jesus Christ is the God of both the old and the new creation. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is also the God of the New Testament. He is the God who created the heavens and the earth. And it is he who is the God who shall recreate the heavens and the new earth. He is the one who recreates man, born again of the will, not of man, but of God, born again from above by the same power that created man in the first place. The cross was the point of the new creation. All those who are in Christ were born again on the cross. Why? You don't have a new birth. You don't have birth without birth fluids. Water and blood on the cross. Jesus Christ delivering his new children, his children to God. All his claims about himself testify to his deity as God. He is the God of salvation. Water is turned into wine. Very good wine. Served at the end of the marriage ceremony. As an inauguration of the new beginning. The new beginning of a new creation. That begins with the spiritual birth. Spiritual rebirth. Nicodemus, you must be born Again, to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you must be born from above. Above where? From heaven. Nicodemus, you must be born again from above where? The cross. You have to be born again from the cross. Why? When the Son of Man has been lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And that is why when you read the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, John chapter 3 it continues all the way 
to the cross. Because that's where the new creation of all those children that God gave to Christ was accomplished. If you are not born again, you cannot attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus claims to be able to save from sin only because he is God. He is able to forgive sin and is able to pay for sin because he is God. He is perfect sacrifice and perfect high priest because he is God. He is the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He gives life because only God gives life. Only God has life to give. He gives an everlasting righteousness because only God is infinite. He can give without ever losing an ounce of himself. It is he who descended from heaven who also is in heaven. It is he who gives the water, the Holy Spirit, the fountain of water that springs up to eternal life. It is he who heals the blind, the sick, and the lame. It is he who the Father loves and has given all things and all judgment so that all may honor him as the Father is honored. It is he who gives life to all who believe. It is he who has caused you and I to pass from death to life. It is he who is in the bosom of the Father. And no man has ever seen God, but he who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. If you want to see God, you see Jesus. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. That salvation coming not by Moses, but by Christ. It is he who the scriptures testify of. The scriptures testify of Jesus as both God and Savior. That's what Messiah is. There is no life in the scriptures themselves, though you and I may study them. Unless they bring us to Christ, they are useless. You can burn them. They only testify of him who was to come and has come. And so the scriptures are servants of the one who was to come. Moses, the law, was inferior and a servant of Jesus Christ. The law does not share the same stage with Jesus. The law was given to lay the red carpet for Jesus to walk on. The law only prepared for the arrival of God himself. It was a curtain raiser. It was not the main act. Jesus is the main act. He has always been the main act. Jesus has never been plan B of God. Jesus has always from eternity been plan A. So this one who has come to the Jews is superior to Moses. He is superior to the law in that the law gave manna to those who were in the desert. But all who ate the manna perished. Because the letter kills, they were given bread under the law. The letter kills, it is the spirit that gives life. But he, this one, comes and brings better bread. His own body, the bread from heaven, and he gives everlasting life. This one is superior to all the patriarchs. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm walking from John chapter 1 to 8. 
if you follow that. I'm giving you a summary of everything that has happened in between. So all this is a summary of every chapter that John has given us. And we'll be finishing. So this one is superior to all the patriarchs. Abraham, Jacob, he gives better water than what the Samaritan woman was getting from Jacob's well. Water that springs to eternal life. He is superior to Abraham before Abraham was, I am. This one is he who feeds the multitude who are hungry and dying in the wilderness of the world. It is he who steals the storms of God's judgment upon his people. It is through him that all who are saved will come to God through his obedience in life and in death. His obedience in finishing all the work that the father gave to him, it is he who is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath rest for God's people because in him and by him, all who labor and are heavy laden find their complete and final rest. Hebrews 4, 10 to 11. For he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Outside Jesus, no one can come to where God is. And if any man die without him, they will die in their sins. But this one sets free all those who are in bondage to sin, and he sets free freely, completely, perfectly, and permanently. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This Jesus is he who says, before Abraham was, I am. Is that your Jesus? Is this your God? Is this your salvation? Is this your righteousness? It is he who said, Isaiah 45, and we are done. Isaiah 45, 20 to 25. Isaiah 45, 20 to 25. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together. You who have escaped from the nations, they have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient times? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord, and there's no other God besides me, a just God and a savior? There's none besides me. Look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there's no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take oath. Every tongue shall confess. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come. To him, to Christ, many shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for...
your son Jesus Christ. The great I am. The one who said before Abraham was, I am. And the testimony that you have given us to know him. For this is not a testimony that can be taught by man to other men. This is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. That no man can say Jesus Christ is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray and thank you for that testimony. For that is the most needful testimony for us. We thank you, Lord, for the many words that you gave us this morning. Many words. And we pray that you imprint that knowledge and understanding of the person of Christ into the hearts of your people. That they may have the true testimony of Christ in their own hearts. That they may confess Christ to righteousness and salvation. For salvation has been given not by our works but by the testimony of our mouth about what Christ has accomplished by himself. He finished our salvation. And all God's people amen that by the Holy Spirit. We do not have anything else to bring before you as to be accepted by you, but the righteousness of Christ. And may you cause your people to find their rest and comfort in what he accomplished for them. For this is their only hope. And now, Lord, I pray for all the brethren who shall hear this message. Grant them ears to hear also for the sake of Christ. Our Lord, I pray for the brothers that you brought us here to fellowship and commune with us. That you may be with them and may you bring all these things to remembrance. That they may meditate upon them. That they may see the glory of Christ in all these things. We pray, Lord, for safe travels as they head back praying for their families that they left behind. Lord, be with them. May you keep them. May you save them for the sake of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all provision that you've given us this weekend. Thank you for the time of fellowship. May Christ continue to be exalted in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.